Welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I'm excited to have with us today my colleague Hannah McMunn, one of EFR's prevention specialists. Welcome to Emotionwell, Hannah. Thank you. I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about what your role on our prevention team is and then also tell us what the prevention team does outside of just what you do for the prevention team. Yeah, so um, my role on the prevention team is grant coordinator for an opioid prevention grant that we have in Jasper County, Iowa. Um, and we work with a lot of coalitions, schools, businesses in um, preventing opioid misuse in Jasper County. Um, our prevention team in general, we work in substance misuse prevention, um, partnering with various organizations and individuals um, to bring educational outreach and environmental programs to um, the community. Excellent. Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, EFR does work in workplaces, schools, and communities. And so one reason why I wanted to talk to Hannah today about the opioid epidemic is because we know that it is prevalent and it is something that has, of course, been in the news a lot in the past few years. But as I was doing some research for it, I found some interesting information as it related to its impact on the workforce. And so, you know, from from my seat, at the table, you know, at EFR, I'm the wellness manager. So I'm working exclusively with workplaces. And, you know, sometimes I think it's easy to think, well, this type of issue isn't affecting our our workforce or our employees. Well, wrong, it is. So mm-hmm. as I was doing some research, you know, I, I came across some interesting statistics uh, that, you know, workers with a current substance use disorder miss an average of 14.8 days per year of work. While the subset with a pain medication use disorder, which would be like an opioid disorder, miss an average of 29 days per year. And so that's in contrast to someone uh, without any kind of substance use disorder um, missing about 10 days of work per year. So it's almost three times as high for someone with uh, a pain medication use disorder. So I just want you to kind of lay the groundwork. What are some of the general stats and facts that people need to know about this epidemic and kind of help put it in perspective, um, you know, regarding it's affecting everyone. It's not just affecting certain subsets of people. So what can you tell us about the opioid epidemic? Yeah, well, I would start with um, just kind of going off what you just said. This epidemic is really affecting um, anyone. We're seeing um, more women affected by this than any other drug trend in the past. Um, Also, people from a higher socioeconomic status um, related to some other drug trends in the past. Um, And so it's it's very it's a really unique um, situation that we're kind of facing right now. Um, I think some of the most alarming statistics have to do with really the amount of overdose deaths that we're seeing from this. Um, So we know that 128 people in the United States are dying every day from this epidemic. Um, And in 2017, more than 47,000 Americans died as a result of an opioid overdose. So we're just seeing drastic amounts of deaths from this compared to a lot of other drug trends we've seen. Wow. And I had also come across that 
And it might have been from the same, you know, article or, or research uh, piece that you were getting your information that 95% of drug overdose deaths occurred in the working population. Yeah. So. Yeah. And we're really seeing, um, so that would be between the ages of 15 and 64 for the most part. And the highest rates of opioid misuse is um, young adults, well, um, not young adults. Um, the highest rates of misuse that we're seeing is um, young adults ages 18 to 25. Okay. And so what, you know, what are some of the reasons you think that this particular epidemic have kind of, has kind of come on so suddenly? Because it feels like no one ever talked about it. And then mm -hmm. in the last five years, it was just like, oh my gosh, it's here. And it's a big problem. Yep. What has contributed to this epidemic? Yeah, well, we've kind of seen this um, epidemic come in waves. So it really started um, in the 1990s when um, pharmaceutical companies were talking with prescribers about um, prescribing pain medications. Um, they were um, providers were being informed that these were not going to be addictive. Um, they were going to help with our pain problems mm -hmm. in, um, in our country and things like that. And so that's kind of what started, um, the prescription pain medication issue. Um, but after that, we started seeing, um, people kind of switching over to heroin. So that was about the, um, around 2010 when we saw that happen, um, and a lot of the reason for that was because by that time, um, providers really were starting to understand the risks associated with prescribing opioids. Um, and so they cut back on their prescribing. Mm -hmm. And so people that may have traditionally in the past um, been had been abusing those prescription opioids um, were now unfortunately switching to heroin, which is also an opioid um, but in an illegal form. Right. And I'm guessing that in... In some cases, heroin might have been more readily accessible. I mean, you don't need a prescription. Obviously, right. you need to know where to get it. But, um, And was it also maybe more affordable? It is, okay. yes. Or so it is. Okay. It's, um, it, a lot of times it's more accessible because we don't have to go through um, a medical provider for it. And it is much cheaper. Okay. Um, so that, were, that were, was a lot of the reasons that people were, were switching. Um, recently... I would say the kind of the, like you said, in the last five years, we've been hearing a lot more about it. We've been hearing more in the news um, and all of that. And so that is more due to um, our illegally made fentanyl. Okay. Um, and that's what what that's what's being laced in a lot of this heroin and causing a lot of the okay. overdose deaths. So is it is it a synthetic? It is. Opioid? Yeah. OK. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, fentanyl is used um, in the medical community for um, procedures, a lot of C-sections and things like mm -hmm. that. Um, but what we're talking about in these drugs is a synthetically made fentanyl. Okay. okay. Yeah, I had read that the most common drugs involved in prescription opioid overdose deaths are methadone, which is a synthetic opioid used to treat pain, and it can also be provided through opioid treatment programs to treat opioid use disorders, which I thought was interesting, mm -hmm. uh, and oxycodone and hydrocodone. I mean, I know when I uh, you know, had my appendix out a few months ago, 
And, you know, they sent me home with, they asked mm-hmm. me actually if I wanted some hydrocodone. And yeah. I said, no, I'm good with like the 500 milligram ibuprofen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's, you know, I kind of wonder, and I'm sure that there are, I would hope, measures in place in hospitals. Mm-hmm. Do you know of any measures in place where, you know, someone goes in for a C-section or an appendectomy or they have chronic back pain or they tore their meniscus? I mean, mm-hmm. are, are physicians who are prescribing pain relief doing any kind of screening to make sure that, you know, they're not prescribing an opioid or they're not prescribing too much of an opioid to someone who could potentially have an issue or who has a history of an issue? Yeah. So the biggest thing um, I think that has been happening is our prescription monitoring programs. Okay. Um, And this is something when someone goes in um, to be prescribed an, an opioid or really any medication, they can look up through the PMP um, if this person has been prescribed something okay. recently. And so this is, um, it's aimed to help providers um, not prescribe someone something that they just got yesterday mm-hmm. um, because that's where we were seeing a lot of issue in um, doctor shopping and going to multiple right. different physicians to get a prescription. Um, and so this is something that, especially in the, the state of Iowa and other states, um, they have been implementing. Um, the only trick with that is um, providers have to register um, and they have to they have to use use it. Mm-hmm. And so it's an extra step. Um, but we're really trying to get the messaging out in the prevention world of um, this is a really good strategy. Um, in addition to the PMP, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have provided some opioid prescribing guidelines for chronic pain. And so that's something that we're doing um, through our grant um, is getting those guidelines out there to providers okay. so that they um, have those resources. And if they find themselves in a situation working with someone with chronic pain, um, how, do we, how do we prescribe these safely? How do we um, help someone maybe wean off of them? And what are some alternative mm-hmm. forms of pain management? What is What has been your experience? I know you work with, you know, different populations uh, through, the, through the grant, but what kind of education can you provide to our, you know, junior high and high school students? Because mm-hmm. we know that, you know, anyone can start taking these and abusing them. Yeah. And... I think, you know, I grew up, I was born in the 80s, grew up, you know, in the 90s. Uh, I remember the ad from uh, the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. And I it, I was so little when this came out that I actually, I could not remember, like, how old I was. But I just remember being little. And so I looked it up. And it came out in 1987. And I was five that year. And it's the, you know, this is your brain. This is drugs. This is mm-hmm. your brain on drugs. And they crack an egg into the frying pan. And that, that was really impressionable for me. Mm-hmm. Um, just as a, as a five-year-old, like, whoa, that, you know, <laughs> drugs are obviously very bad. Um, and then, you know, it's interesting to go back and I'll link to the video in our show notes, um, to watch the YouTube video from that, um, from that time period. And then in the nineties they did one, but its focus was heroin, I believe. Okay. Um, so, you know, I just think back to the, the programming that I, you know, encountered as a youth DARE, Drug Abuse Resistance mm-hmm. Education, I believe. Do they still, is DARE still a program? It is. Um, it's definitely different than it used okay. to be. Um, so there's there's a lot of skepticism around some of the older programs. Okay. 
Um, but there is, it is still out there. Um, it's more researched in a, in a different program now. Okay. But yeah. So what kind of information can you provide to, you know, our, our like I said, junior high and high school students or mm-hmm. young adults about the opioid epidemic that could be an effective way for them to understand, you know, the harmful effects that taking prescription painkillers can, can lead to? Yeah. We have done um, a lot of work around... Well, we know that um, the number one way that youth really get these are, are from friends and family. Okay. So we have done um, some work with youth and also with just family members and communities and in, in trying to get these um, prescription medications, especially if it's an opioid. Um, if you're not using it, get it out of your house. Because mm-hmm. um, that's a lot of the times the way that, that youth are getting them. Um, we have a, f- a few different campaigns going on. One is called Prescription Drugs Are Still Drugs. Um, it's basically, we have it in different formats, but for example, our billboard is a pill bottle and that's what the top says. And so just getting that message out there that, yes, these are prescription medications prescribed from, from a physician, um, whether or not it's yours, but from a doctor. And so they, they have that sense that they're safe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're safe to take. It's safe to take medication. But um, we're seeing a lot of misuse of prescription drugs just because they're easily accessible. And so getting that message out there that these still are drugs um, if you're not using them appropriately um, is kind of our, our main message for that. But one thing that concerns me with youth use um, is that we know that if some if a youth is prescribed a prescription medication before their high school graduation, um, they have an increased risk of 33% um, that they will later um, come across opioid misuse. Really? And so that to me is um, pretty alarming thinking about that 33% increased risk mm-hmm. um, because... I know, especially high schoolers, a lot of times that's when you're getting your wisdom teeth out. That's a lot. Of, that's typically Sport injuries. You know, if you're right, going to. that's typically the first time that they're experiencing something like that or yeah. being prescribed that. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done in that front. For sure, for sure. Um, and then, you know, do you have experience in the workplace in terms of you know what kind of information? Should we be sharing with our workplaces just thinking that, you know, this isn't, like I said, um, a drug issue that's affecting just one subset of the population? Mm -hmm. Um, Our biggest message when we work with employers is really not just with opioids and prescription drugs, but with any drug that this really can um, affect anyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And substance use disorders um, can really make a big impact on on the workforce. And we know that employees who misuse substances um, are far less productive. Um, They use a lot more sick days. Um, There's a higher chance for increased accidents or mistakes Mm -hmm. at work. Um, And so really just trying to create um, a workplace with supports um, is really important. And Especially with something like this, it's oftentimes um, a, a substance use disorder that can be very easily hidden. For sure, yeah. What would you know? What do you recommend as far as alternative forms of pain relief? Do you, you know, do you feel like that's part of the education and the prevention 
message is that, Mm -hmm. you know, because you are, you know, dealing with chronic pain, does that mean you have to take an opioid pain reliever? Um, Do you have recommendations or suggestions for what people could consider? Yeah. So for short-term pain, um, we really try and encourage people, um, even if someone offers you an opioid prescription um, at your doctor, you don't have to take it. Um, You don't have to I've heard a lot of people who are written a prescription and never even go get it filled. Mm-hmm. Um, they just they don't want to take it. Mm-hmm. And so there are other options out there. Um, we encourage people to use other um, pain relief medication. So, you know, a, a higher dose of ibuprofen or Tylenol um, sometimes will do the trick. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that um, in just as little as five days, you can become addicted to an opioid. Mm-hmm. So... If you are prescribed something for um, an injury or a surgery, um, the recommendation out there is really three days or less. Um, so if you have to take it, take it for a shorter period of time. Um, but there are other options too. Things like um, physical therapy, massage, acupuncture, um, exercise are all, are all great things for short-term pain relief. Um, that chronic pain and long-term pain um, gets a little bit trickier, but we really encourage people to work with their providers and um, really figure something out so that they can live a happy and healthy life, um, hopefully eventually without opioid yeah, pain Yeah, kind of have a pain management plan. Right. One thing that I came across that I thought was interesting, um, and it ties nicely into other services that EFR provides is the importance of talk therapy. You know, for someone Mm -hmm. who is living with chronic pain, it it affects more than how you feel physically. It affects how you feel emotionally. It can affect how you um, are able to interact with your family and friends if you even feel like, you know, interacting with them and affects your work performance. And so I think, you know, never underestimate the power of talking to a counselor, a therapist about, you know, how you're feeling, not just physically, but, you know, someone living with chronic pain or someone living with chronic pain and who is addicted to an opioid, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. talking to someone about what you are struggling with, I think is certainly very, very important to consider. Um, Other information that you think is good for people to know about this epidemic uh, who maybe just see splashes of it in the, you know, in the headlines when, because we know that celebrities mm-hmm. are struggling with this and occasionally you know there will be um, the overdose death of someone famous and it will make headlines anything mm-hmm. that you think um, is good for people to remember like if you wanted people to remember maybe two or three things about the opioid epidemic what would you want them to kind of take away and maybe share with someone or keep in the back of their mind yeah I think um, one thing to keep in mind is just being aware that um you know, because this can affect anyone, um, you know, reaching out to your friends and family. Um, if you see something that just seems off, um, figuring out what's, what's going on with that person, because a lot of times, um, especially with this epidemic, um, these people are really struggling for quite a while. And so, um, trying to get that help out there right away, um, is really important. I think um, kind of as a general community message, we're trying to get the word out there to get rid of those um, unused pain medications. Um, there are drop, drop boxes um, all over the state of Iowa and all over um, any state that you go to. And so getting disposing of those medications and just trying to get them out of our community is really important. 
Um, and I think the last thing is just to know that there's help out there. Um, this is a, a growing concern um, kind of everywhere in the United States. And so um, just making sure that people know there's help out there. Um, there's lots of resources that they can find. For sure. Thank you so much. Uh, I just want to remind our listeners um, to consider, you know, looking to EFR, reaching out to EFR. If you are struggling or you know someone who is struggling, um, we could be a great first place, you know, to at least get you started in the right direction. Uh, We're, you know, we can be um, reached at 800-327-4692, or you can go to our website, www.efr.org and learn more about what we do. Like I said, we, we provide, um, resources for workplaces, schools, and communities. Our prevention team, um, does a lot of really great things in our communities in the Des Moines and surrounding areas. So please look to our website again, www.efr.org for more information on that. It was really great having you on today. I think this is such important information for people to remember. And like you said, you know, if, if you see something kind of say something Mm -hmm. and remind people that there are resources and support available. Yeah. We like to say life happens. We are here to help. Don't be shy. Reach out to EFR if you need anything. 800-327-4692.